It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, This is a powerful study because it's a look, an in-depth look at uh, the subject of spiritual gifts and really talking about the body of Christ. You, you see, if we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to work through us to do God's holy purposes. So there is a ministry to be done, and we often think that we have to manufacture some efforts in the flesh to be productive for the kingdom of God, when rather he equips us for the ministry that is before us. So he equips some to be speakers, teachers, pastors, others who are servants, various roles within the church. Ultimately, it's about being a, a the mindset of a foot washer, willing to serve, and God gets all the glory through anything good that comes out of us. This is all to his glory. And so we all have a role to play. There are no bystanders in in the church of Jesus Christ, right? We're, we're not to warm chairs and be content with that. Rather, we are to be active in the ministry of Jesus Christ in this world. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but as you read the headlines, as you watch the news at night, we desperately need an active church in the affairs of men right now. So I want to encourage you to be active. Pray like you've never prayed before. Read God's word. Be equipped always ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. So let's look at these spiritual gifts. If you missed the prior broadcasts, you can go to calvaryfountain.com. And there we have a link for all of our radio shows, as well as a link to our video programs of what we're going through on a Sunday morning. We're studying the book of Matthew on Sunday mornings. And we do this. We go through the Bible verse by verse. So that it ultimately equips you, the saints, for the work of ministry. So last week we covered the first four of nine spiritual gifts that are highlighted here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Those four include the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, and healing. So let's read the text again and and go through this a little bit uh, closer here as we examine the next of the spiritual gifts, miracles. That's a big one and a lot of confusion on that. So 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, here's what we read. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, languages, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. And again, this is setting us up for a very serious discussion through 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 as we look at agape love and then ultimately an in-depth examination of the topic of tongues. Yes, tongues. It has divided churches, even given us different denominations over this very sensitive subject. So we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks really examining uh, what tongues is all about. What does the scripture have to teach us about this? So uh, let's look at these next five spiritual gifts that have been highlighted here. Let's starting with miracles, the working of miracles. 
And we have to understand is how miracles have transpired through the scriptures, how they work, and, and what is this thing of miracles and, and this gifting that works through some for miraculous things. So let's examine this because there's, there's so many layers here, especially as we have one English word that captures a, a depth and array of various Greek words at times that are that seem more specific to what is trying to be communicated here. So again, as we look to the text, we want to go to the original source. We want to examine this and really extrapolate from that what is truth, right? Rather than, uh, you know, sometimes we get uh, caught off on, into tradition, uh, into the perspectives of men. We really just want to hear what does Scripture have to teach us on this. So uh, the working of miracles. So the best use of this gift is that of believing God for miracles. That, that's what brings him glory and causes others to consider God's will for their lives. That's really what this is all about. It's not to bring any glory to man. Okay, that's often what we think about, that somehow these miracles uh, elevate some above others, gives them a voice perhaps where others did not have a voice. Certainly there were times when miracles were used to authenticate messengers, and, and then times where miracles were needed in order to give the gospel message perhaps to a lost people groups. A lot of history on that. So let's just examine this a little closer. So this gift can refer to miraculous healings, but also to other signs and wonders. Okay, we see that in John 14 and Mark 9. So this gift was exhibited specifically by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, Peter in Acts 3, Stephen in Acts 6, and Philip in Acts 8, amongst many others. So if we really look at this, the Holy Spirit does not operate as a divine genie. The Holy Spirit doesn't take part in anything that brings glory to man, it only to God's glory. So when I say that these gifts, this gift of something miraculous occurring, some sign and wonder coming out of a man, I think even Paul, Peter, Stephen, and Philip will be offended that I even cited their names. It was never about them. It was always to authenticate their message that God had something to say through these chosen vessels, conduits of his mighty purposes, to bring the truth and hope into a lost world. And so often today, these things are misunderstood, and then TV shows are made, and people seemingly do these miraculous things, healings and so forth, that does nothing but glorify the individual whom this work is going through, apparently. And we always have to be very mindful and discerning of these things. So you think about this. Miracles were reserved for specific occasions to further the work of ministry. Okay, so the Holy Spirit will work through the two witnesses that we'll see in Revelation chapter 11 using signs and wonders. But think about the individuals whom God chose. These two individuals, we don't even know their names. And they're so humbled before the Lord, they minister in sackcloth. Okay, it's not about them at all. They're very similar in their role and posture before God. Is that a, perhaps the prophet Enoch or even Elijah? Uh, we, we see the miracles that are performed there seem to indicate that. Uh, John the Baptist, like him, his whole mission was to go before the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord, to evangelize to a lost world, especially in the final hours before the coming reign of Christ. That seems to be their two, uh, these two individuals and their assignment. 
So it's not about them at all. So as we examine spiritual gifts, we naturally think about the miracles that are recorded in Scripture. So we think, okay, these all these miraculous things, bringing somebody back from the dead, That's that must be what this gift is all about. Well, let's just look at this a little bit closer. Uh, when we're told in 1 Corinthians 1.22 that Jews had requested a sign and Greeks sought after wisdom. So the gifts of the Spirit, the working of even miraculous signs, were always appropriate for when and where God determined that they were needed for each situation. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13.8. So God can choose to use something that you might not even see. I mean, we're always looking for the spectacular. We are always looking for the fire from heaven when God is doing miracles all around us that we may pay no attention to. I still believe that when somebody gives their life to Jesus Christ, that's miraculous. When when somebody is turned from the ways of sin to the ways of righteousness, that is a miracle. Miracles are happening all the time. And sometimes he does use extraordinary measures through signs and wonders, but that shouldn't be how we examine this. So the result is always the right tactic for the right situation, never a reaction, always pre-planned even before time began. So every miracle ever done was pre-planned and executed exactly as predetermined by God. So the reason why we think anything has ceased is because we don't understand that men had no control in the first place since every good and perfect gift comes from God. According to James 1.17, it is God who also both wills and does the good work that comes through us, according to Psalm 16.2 and Philippians 2.13. So God has always had a plan for every miraculous event. I mean, think about it. Of the 6,000 years of human history... The scriptures only record a few hundred years with miraculous occurrences in them. And so I would think that as we examine history, when it appeared that there were delays or long periods of time between recordings of miraculous activities, it would have felt like cessationism. And that's a term that's often used to say that spiritual gifts have ceased, which I can't see. If the Holy Spirit is in you, that means you are a temple of God on two legs, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. And that's why there's no need for an Ark of the Covenant anymore. Because you are that Ark of the Covenant, and the same Holy Spirit that occupies me occupies you, and we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. We all have a calling, all have a spiritual gift. If the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit is going to equip you for the work that must be done, and we are all part of a body that is under the headship of Jesus Christ. So let's examine this even closer. Elijah and Elisha come to mind. They both served the Lord for 75 years combined. Now, during that time, we have 14 recorded miracles through Elijah and 28 through Elisha. Now, you remember Elisha had asked for a double portion in 2 Kings chapter 2. So that means during their ministries, God worked a miracle through them, get this, every other year. Now, that's pretty awesome. I mean, for any of us, if we would actually see the types of miracles they witnessed, we'd be pretty awesome if awestruck if just one of those had happened. And here, this is every other year. Now, the reason why that doesn't sound so impressive at times is because we're saturated 
with these superhero movies. We spend billions of dollars to be entertained with these stories of individuals with special skills. And we expect those superheroes to use their powers every day to fight crime so a miracle every other year isn't how we would write the script. So I'm glad that God reserves his power for his perfect timing. You see, the Holy Spirit worked many miracles through God's servants. You go to Acts chapter 5, verse 12 on that. However, God didn't even need human bodies to do his work. And you're like, John, what do you mean by that? Well, if you read Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 12, Paul's handkerchief and apron were able to heal people. Okay, so God didn't even need Paul's body to do his miraculous work. But what it did is it enabled Paul to have a voice into the lives of these people who desperately needed the truth. It wasn't about elevating Paul. It was about elevating the truth. And, and how many miracles did the Holy Spirit work through Paul? We see his handkerchief and apron being used. How about through Paul specifically? We have nine recorded miracles through the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And he served God for 30 years after the Damascus Road encounter with Jesus Christ. So out of 30 years, nine recorded miracles. How about Peter? Now with Peter, there were seven recorded miracles, and he served the Lord for at least 40 years. So of the miracles performed through Peter, three of them were for healing and one for raising someone from the dead. Now I have to wonder then, if Peter ever came across other sick people, or how about even more dead people during his 40 years of service? Wouldn't you have thought that if he had the ability to control that power, that he could have just raised every single person that he encountered who was dead to come back to life, or every single person that was sick to be healed if it was at his whim? Now, on the another occasion, we see that Peter is miraculously freed from prison by an angel. Boy, that would have been nice for Joseph, wouldn't you think? Here, poor Joseph had sat in prison for two years waiting on the Lord in Genesis 41.1. Or how about John the Baptist, who was sitting in prison after his faithful service to God and then had his head lopped off and paraded about during a dinner party in Mark chapter 6, 14 to 29. So Peter could have used that miracle again on the day of his execution, I'll tell you that. How about Paul as he was released from prison by miraculous wonder in Acts chapter 16, and yet the same Paul would spend a great deal of his ministry in prison, and as a result, we have the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And I think that that's the point that we're to draw from this. We're looking for the spectacular, and here God was doing a miracle even while Paul and Peter were both in prison. While Paul was in prison... We now have recorded works that are added to the canonized Bible because of his time there. It was always what was necessary at the right time. So the point is, miracles are not parlor tricks or anything performed by the flesh. And they're certainly not at our command or whim of the individual whom God is using. So, in fact, think about this. Great kingdom work was done in the midst of their greatest persecution. So a miraculous activity of divine intervention in the affairs of men still occurred, but not necessarily like fire from heaven. 
So I think we have to change our perspective of what the miraculous really is. I mean, miracles are rarely displayed as fire from heaven. Those are the extraordinary miracles that often are used to validate a spokesman of God. I mean, you can almost say extraordinary means for extraordinary times. But rather, the, the Apostle Paul tells us boldly in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-11, that his suffering was so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So I have a list of approximately 150 to 180 recorded extraordinary miracles in the scriptures. And I say approximately because passages like Acts chapter 2.43 and 5.12 make it hard to number. So of these recorded miracles, approximately 66 of these were done through men by God. And this includes the works of the two witnesses forthcoming, but not including the miracles of Jesus. So now, that, of course, we know here, let me just give a little caveat to this, that what Jesus did of, of the 37 recorded miracles through his mighty works, the apostle John in John chapter 21, verse 25 wrote, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. But the fact still remains that there are only approximately 66 recorded miracles done through men who were not Jesus. Over a 1,500-year period of time that was documented by 40-plus authors. So 66 miracles through men, and we now have how many books of the Bible? What's the canonized size of the Bible? 66 books. So 66 miracles that aligns with 66 books of the Bible. I don't think that's a coincidence. So, so therefore, what we need to take away from this is, is, is this should ultimately demonstrate that these miracles are a gift that is given as God determines, not as man determines. And it may appear very different based on proper exegesis of the text. So the reason why I make this point is because we have four Greek words that are often lumped together to form the English word miracle. So let me just break those up for you. We have the word for works, which is ergon, the wonders, which is tedos, powers, which is dunamis, and signs, which is simeon. And this is critical to understand because it will help guide our discussion regarding verse 10 with better clarity. However, the Greek word used here in 1 Corinthians 12.10 is not the word for signs or works or even the word for wonders. And that's what we naturally assume. For miraculous powers, we would naturally go to the context of that means signs or wonders, and that's not the word that's used there. Rather, the Greek word there is dunami, and, and that's a derivative of dunamis, which means to show ability, power, that's abled, meaning enabled by God, or empowered. So it's, a, it's an ability that's empowered by God. So because we have one word for miracles, this word of miracles in the English language, we've missed a vital point. So listen, the, the working of miracles described by Paul here is being empowered by God to do God's will and doesn't necessarily involve signs and wonders. Okay, that's it. That's it. That might be a huge blow to someone who's reading that for the first time and assume that that was the spiritual gift of signs and wonders. No, this is being empowered by God 
to do God's will. I don't know about you, but I need that power because in the flesh, I am weak. In the flesh, I grow fearful. I grow tired. I don't want to deal with stuff. And I need to be empowered by God to do His will. So another perspective on this is that many theologians will cite 2 Corinthians 12, 12 to suggest that the works of extraordinary miracles were used only to authenticate the mission and message of the one that was sent by God. And we see that, I'll read that to you, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. That's not the language that's used here as a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, to the individuals within the church. So it seems to authenticate a messenger at the right time. We certainly see that with the two witnesses in Revelation. So let's look at the next gift, prophecy. Now, again, this one creates a lot of confusion. What is prophecy? Are there prophets now outside of the canonized text? We have 18 prophetic books of Scripture. So does that mean someone can come on the scene and now add to the canonized text with a new spoken word of God? And I say no. The the text is complete. We're not to add to or take away from it. There's actually a a stern warning from God if we do that. So what this word declares is a declaration of God's will to God's people. Prophecy is for edification and encouragement and does not necessarily exclude teaching and doctrine. We'll get into the gifts of prophecy and tongues as we look to 1 Corinthians 14. I will tell you that outside of the 18 books of prophecy and the 56 prophets that are highlighted in Scripture, the role of a prophet today is not foretelling, but rather forth-telling. Okay, again, look to Revelation 22, 18 and 19 on that. That was the revealed word of Jesus Christ, the complete word. So prophets proclaim truth. So the Bible is the source of truth. Though out of truth, they declare what is truth. And sometimes what prophets tend to do is they give it black and white. This is, this is the will of God. They speak the truth even at their own detriment. Okay, so they're usually a person regarded as an inspired speaker or perhaps a proclaimer of the will of God. They're generally comfortable with confrontation and speak up for what is right, even when others may not want to hear it. That's one of the spiritual gifts. How about uh, distinguishing of the spirits, a seventh of these spiritual gifts highlighted here. And this is the ability to know when truth or error is being spoken and whether a prophet is true or false. Again, 1 John 4, Deuteronomy 13, Matthew 7, 2 Peter 2, a number of scriptures to that point. So there's another, various kinds of tongues. Now, tongues is also translated as languages. We'll get into that. This is going to be our emphasis of 1 Corinthians 14. But there, there is a very practical and spiritual application to this that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and Isaiah 28. I encourage you to read those. So as I mentioned before, there's a lot of confusion about prophesying and speaking in tongues, and I promise you we're going to spend a lot of time on those two in 1 Corinthians 14. Obviously, there were issues that Paul had to clear up on these subjects in 57 AD, and since there's nothing new under the sun, we're going to have to clear it up in 2020 AD, okay? So the interpretation of tongues, languages, this is also the ability to interpret languages of the tongue by way of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 27. Again, we'll spend some time on that. So while you may not have any of these particular gifts, 
Stick around until next week, and then you'll learn about some other gifts, because this is not an exhaustive list. There are other uh, spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible in Romans chapter 12, even 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31, and Ephesians chapter 4. So again, these are not all inclusive either. And though they they cover this great variety of spiritual gifts to help us understand that God has equipped all the body parts of the church for the mission of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that what is listed here in the Scripture is not all-inclusive, okay? God equips in different ways for his different purposes that are all of the same mission. So I'm delighted that we have all these gifts in the church today. I really am. We're so diverse. I mean, we have people who have come from nearly every denomination, even in our church. And honestly, I think that's why people find themselves being attracted to certain denominations, because they find others like themselves, all gifted perhaps in similar ways, and that's not the way it was intended to be. We like to clump together with people like us, that think like us. The church is supposed to be diverse. We need hands and feet and arms and legs, and all of us are supposed to come together as the body of Christ to complement one another, not all the hands to lump together in one type of church and all the legs in another and then the body be divided. Okay, so we shouldn't lump all the mercy people together, all the prophecy folks together. That's not how it works. We're the body of Christ, and a body needs diversity to function at its peak performance. So we need hands and feet and legs and even you lower backsides, and you know who you are, okay? It's okay. You can laugh at that. So together we are the body of Christ, and we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, Let me just try to wrap up with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, we read, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills, as the Spirit wills, not as man desires or determines. We are to pursue these spiritual gifts, but we understand that these come by way of the Holy Spirit. So this is a great summary of this whole section. I mean, it's also the fifth reference in this section to the Holy Spirit being the giver of those gifts. And every believer is spiritually gifted. These gifts are not for the spiritually elite, but for the entire body of Christ. We're all gifted, We're all called by God to minister with the gifts that he has supplied. And I do praise God for that. So again, our salvation cost a lot, but it was at no charge to us. In grace, God has given us eternity. In grace, he has given us forgiveness. In grace, he has done more for us than we could ever do for ourselves. So we praise God for this supernatural enablement to do his work that he has prepared for us before the beginning of time, that we should walk in his ways and honor him in service to the King of Kings. Again, I hope you were encouraged by this study. We continue on. We've got so much more to cover in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, we're going to be in this for a few weeks, not just in chapter 12, but in the subject of spiritual gifts, even the subject of love, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, this agape love that is of God himself. So this is going to be a wonderful study. I encourage you to keep tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you're looking for a church in the area that you can go deeper in God's word together with other saints, uh, come check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Our website is calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 6 p.m. on Saturdays, Sunday at 8 a.m. and at 10 a.m. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends.